Hello everyone and welcome to the 23rd episode of the Connectivity Podcast. I'm Matthias Fridström and I've spent the last 25 years inside the Connectivity community. In this podcast, we invite guests to deep dive into one or many subjects to simply learn more about connectivity. In this 23rd episode, I'm extremely happy to have Funke Opeke from Main One as my guest. All right. So, welcome, Funke. Hi, Matthias. Hello. For the people that doesn't know you, can you tell us a bit who you are and how you ended up in this industry? Well, I am a Nigerian woman by birth, American by choice, and I would say privilege of having pursued higher education, advanced degrees in the United States and pursued a career there and along the way choosing to become an American citizen as well. So I'm a dual citizen. I returned to Nigeria after having spent almost 25 years in the United States to continue my work in the telecom industry, which was taking up here. I studied electrical engineering, undergraduate in Nigeria and graduate school in the United States at Columbia University in New York and have worked professionally in technology, information technology, um, all of my professional life. And that's how I ended up here. All right. That's pretty cool. Uh, and now you work for a company called Main One. What do they do? Main One is a digital infrastructure company. I actually founded Main One in 2008. Seven <laughs> and um, main one as of today is an Equinix company. So within the past month, main one just got acquired by Equinix. What does main one do? Main one provides digital infrastructure services across West Africa to businesses across West Africa. We started with a submarine cable system, and we have expanded our portfolio to include data centers, as well as terrestrial fiber optic networks. So we're connecting businesses, we're co-locating their servers, um, providing cloud services, managed services, so that they can run their businesses effectively or deliver services online uh, across West Africa. All right. That sounds super exciting. Um, I'm quite familiar with the business in, in Europe and North America, but quite unfamiliar with the business in Africa. So could you sort of help us explaining kind of the climate around running this type of business in Africa? What what are your main challenges running this? Well, when we first started and deployed a submarine cable, uh, internet penetration was less than 10%. And there was not, there still is not a significant wired network reaching majority of the geography or the population. So we built this large pipes to connect West Africa with the rest of the world. But then how do you address the last mile issues of getting it to the people who need the services? And 
of course, people who need the services are just regular consumers. And the primary means those consumers in most of Africa have gotten access to connectivity has been through mobile networks. So how do you expand the capacity of those mobile networks? How do you deploy, get the operators, the mobile operators to deploy 3G and 4G technologies so that they can actually deliver broadband services over those mobile networks? So that has been one of the challenges with regards broadband uptake and internet access in Africa and particularly in West Africa where we operate. We have seen in the time since we launched our submarine cable in 2010 to what we have today, an expansion of internet, um, and should I say broadband access to about 40% of the population. And there is still room to grow. There's still uh, more deployments of 4G technology to improve access. And there is growing deployment of fiber to the home in urban and high net worth areas, and also to address the needs of businesses and government institutions. So access has been one of the challenges of running this kind of business in Africa, where the infrastructure for distribution did not really exist and is still being built up. However, considerable progress has been made. The other challenge if I look at the data center side and even the network side, the issues of power availability. And we don't have a very stable grid system here in Nigeria. Some of the other countries have a little more stability and availability of electricity within the grid. And so the requirement for backup power, uh, the expense involved in providing backup power is quite high. And sourcing power on in a sustainable and environmentally friendly way for data centers, which consume a lot of energy, is, is a major consideration, or need I say a major challenge that is faced if one were to operate and as we operate that kind of infrastructure in this region. So that's just at, at a high level, some of the issues that we face. Of course, the regulatory environment continues to evolve to support these kinds of technologies. We were the first to get a private submarine cable landing license in Nigeria and in Ghana, and really pioneered the deployment of that technology by private companies in this part of the world. So a lot of learnings, competency, access to the critical skills we've had to invest. Uh, there's a young, large, young population, engineers being turned out by tertiary institutions, but we've had to invest in additional specialized training so that we can run this networks and data centers at world-class standards, which is something we've been able to achieve with, with our homegrown and largely trained by main one staff. Wow, that's very impressive because I think competence is one of the struggles we have here up here in the Nordics as well. There are many, many companies wanting the sort of best competence in the market. How do you attract people on, on your market? You, what, what do you go to them and tell them that they, they can see and work with? How do you do that? One, I think the opportunity to work with leading edge, innovative technology is something that attracts people to main one. 
if you're a young engineer in Africa, you want to work on some of the latest optical technologies, the latest internet technologies, cybersecurity, cloud. Uh, when you look at the investment profile of Main One and the kinds of services and infrastructure we're deploying, the opportunity to do that and essentially operate at a world-class level, I think is something that's important to a lot of our engineers. I think also we have engineers who want to be challenged and the people we attract tend to be high performers who are really committed to being the very best at what they want to do, are prepared to take a risk. Uh, We're not the largest brand in Africa. You know, the the mobile companies are much larger than we are, but we're doing very interesting things. And um, if you want to be at that position and have high velocity in your career because you know you will we're, we are growing and we have been growing and um, adding on to the business and now we have become a part of equinix that is just coming into africa for the first time so if you're looking for growth in your career then i think main one is the kind of place that you would seriously consider and i think that tends to fit the profile of our people high achievers uh, a little bit intense but getting the right results. Oh, that sounds great. Uh, you mentioned regulatory environment, and I think that's one we all struggle with from time to time. What has changed since you started this company in 2007 and built this submarine cable compared to today? Is the regulatory environment changing to the better, or are they still a bit of a struggle to go through? The regulatory environment has changed, but the requirements are also continue to change as you know digital transformation and you know greater adoption of digital as a way of life affects all citizens. So if I look back to when we were pursuing that first private submarine cable landing license across many countries uh, in West Africa, it was viewed as uh, limited supply asset. It it was difficult um, to get those licenses. And we said, this is not spectrum where you cannot reuse. And even for some kinds of spectrum, you have reused technologies today. But, you know, the fact that you give me a landing license doesn't mean somebody else um, cannot land a cable. And there was no need for government to withhold these licenses as only things that up until that point, government could deploy this technology or only the incumbent telcos could do that. Uh, today, across the region, many more cables are, have landed, more are being landed. And I think that pioneering work in terms of private submarine licenses has really helped the region open up today to see the deployment of much more technology. I wish on the national side, within the national boundaries and the policies, we have had more progress with regards to the deployment of technology and the buildup of that last mile that you need to reach um, citizens and businesses, homes and businesses. And the environments in each country have continued to evolve countries have put together national broadband plans. I have been involved 
with putting the plan for 2020 to 2025 together in Nigeria. However, the reality are that the actions that are required to evolve and really drive um, service deployment closer to the citizens are still plagued with quite a few regulatory constraints and dependence. And also the nature of the economies or the economic constraints in Africa, given that these are generally not wealthy economies, suggests that you need to be more intentional in terms of strategies to ensure services are able to reach uh, the majority of the population. And unfortunately, that mix of regulatory policy and economic frameworks that would create faster deployment and access uh, and affordability for the majority of the citizens uh, has not evolved as fast, has not developed or manifested as fast as one would like in most of our economies. All right. Yeah, now I can see that challenge. Uh, you mentioned earlier that it was mostly mobile networks that was built out uh, sort of outside of the main cities and, and so on. Is that going to be the case going forward or do you believe fixed lines, fiber cables, that type of infrastructure will be built in parallel to these mobile networks or, or are you going to sort of as a country focus on mobile networks pretty much only? Well, mobile networks need fiber for backhauling, for aggregation of the traffic. Otherwise, the mobile networks themselves get very congested. And so there is fiber being deployed. Mobile has driven the deployment of some fiber. Uh, how deep does that fiber go? Uh, fiber to the home, fiber to the enterprise, fiber to the tower. A lot more fiber is required, even with mobile being the primary means of reaching the average consumer. A lot of fiber is still required, and so fiber has to be deployed. Uh, I'm skeptical that fiber in the foreseeable future would reach a majority of homes and businesses in the region. However, I am more optimistic that fiber will need to be deployed to mobile base stations, will need to be deployed in large urban centers and business districts in order to enable the kinds of services that people require to exist uh, in the 21st century, to, to do business online, to access services online, to access payments, entertainment, communicate with loved ones in far-flung places uh, that we're going to have to have more fiber deployed. If we kind of then look at the sort of wider African market, what about cables crossing borders. Uh, I've seen a lot of submarine cables sort of going around the coast around Africa, jumping into every country, and that's great. But what do you what do you think the sort of border crossings on land between countries in Africa? Is that developing? Uh, is it there? Or is it yet to be built? Or It is developing. And even in our experience, we have been able to navigate some borders and provide access through to capacity on our submarine cable into some landlocked countries such as Burkina Faso. However, it's not 
that easy across all borders and across all the countries which do not have that fiber infrastructure. So again, as I mentioned, you know, fiber is going to be required, one, even to distribute the capacity and make services available across the coastal countries. And then you would need to extend that to the far reaches of the borders of those countries, which tend to be rural and less better served or underserved, and then extend them across borders into neighboring countries. So you need handshakes between the governments, between the telecom companies, which in today's environment are largely private companies, and an economic proposition that makes it worth their while to put such infrastructure in place. So it is happening. And within the Francophone countries where there's an economic union across West Africa, I would say there's more cross-border infrastructure and as a result, cross-border telecommunications services as well. But the development is not the same across all of the region and there's still a lot more infrastructure required. Yeah. I can really understand that. Uh, if we think about the data centers, I, uh, you have done this very bold move of starting a data center already back in 2007. Were there many others that did that as well? Or are you still one of the few that have this? And how is that across the sort of African continent and especially West Africa? Actually, thank you. We, did, we actually did not start the data center in 2007. We started the submarine cable project. Ah, all right. And then we started uh, shortly after we went into service in 2010. I think we we had mentioned earlier the issues of power availability and the constraints you face in this environment. And here we found ourselves running this facility that required 24 by 7 uninterrupted power. And we would bring people to tour the facility to see how the submarine cable system worked. And they started asking questions about our availability and if they could co-locate some of the equipment they needed to connect to this network with us. And that's where we started our co-location business. And we decided to build a data center, which we started building in 2013, a purpose-built data center. And we put that into service in January 2015. At that time in West Africa, there were not a lot of commercial data centers. And there was another one uh, in Nigeria that was being built to the kinds of standards that we had built at that time. Um, fast forward 2015 to 2022, there are a lot more data centers. And within the past year in particular, we have seen a surge of new entrants into the African market and indeed the Nigerian market, which is one of the largest economy. It is the largest economy. It's not yet the largest market for data center services. But if we look at what has happened in the telecommunications space, we know that Nigeria is poised to become the largest market on the continent for data center services. And so we are having a lot of new entrants come into this market, both for data centers as well as submarine cables, where the global giants, Google and Matter, are also building 
new submarine cables to the African continent. You mentioned power and we've talked about power and I, I just see here, up here in the in the north of Europe, we have a bit of an issue building out power at the pace of we're or building data centers. Uh, I must imagine that you have the same type of struggle there. Uh, what type of power do you have in Nigeria, uh, the sources that you run power from and, and how do you see that future? Is that going to be the, the big bottleneck going forward for building data centers or has that been overcome? I would say it's early days for us. And so for our business in particular, we've been very deliberate about how we source power. We don't have those bottlenecks yet. But you have to consider that in Europe and advanced markets, I would say data center density per capita is probably several orders of magnitude what we have here in Africa. So our power demands are so much less. Nonetheless, for us as a business, what we have done is sought to strategically source power from the grid rather than self-generate, which in our market means diesel generators, the use of diesel generators, which we view as not environmentally sustainable or particularly efficient for the business. So in our particular situation, and in the we have placed our data center assets close and with direct access to electricity substations, which says we're not a subject to the challenges in the grid distribution systems, which tend to be problematic in a lot of our countries. In Nigeria, for example, the grid is mostly gas and hydro generated, which gives us also lower carbon emissions than if we were burning diesel generators. Even though Nigeria has a challenging power situation, we are able to achieve close to 95% availability from that direct connection to the grid, which minimizes our use of generators. Our strategy is to continue to build on those relationships with private power companies in Nigeria, where power has been deregulated, to ensure that we can strategically source power and not rely on diesel generators as a primary source of power. Of course, there's also more modern design techniques for data centers that we are privileged to adopt containment strategies, managing our lighting, uh, just environmental optimization of cooling strategies within the data center halls to ensure that we're being very efficient in the use of power. So for us, building on the grid, which leverages hydro and gas, remains a critical part of the strategy. While we also continue exploring other greener forms of energy that we may be able to deploy over time uh, as those technologies mature. Yeah, good. That sounds like a really good strategy for you. Thanks everyone for listening. 
In the next episode, we will continue to talk to Funke Opeke, so stay tuned until next time. Please also remember the Twitter handle, ConnectivityPod, for updates.